Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to hear truth and to apply it to our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I can speak for Jamie uh, as well as myself when I say that we are glad to be here this morning. We appreciate the opportunity to lead in worship. We appreciate everything that this congregation has done for us, not only in the last couple of years, but throughout our lives and training us and teaching us and supplying us. Now, you know you're in trouble, though, because you've got two preachers. And Barry told us to go ahead and preach full-length sermons. So the lunch crowd will be leaving the restaurants by the time you arrive. No problems. But Jamie and I will be splitting this passage up as we deliver it this morning. I'll look at verses 10 through 13, while Jamie will then cover verses 14 through 20 for us this morning. And uh, again, we appreciate greatly this opportunity. Well, like I told you just a few minutes ago, this letter of Paul to the Philippians really exudes joy. You see it on every page of the letter. And we see it in our passage this morning right out of the gate in verse 10. Paul says that he rejoices greatly. He rejoices that the Philippians have been able to renew their concern for him. And we need to realize the significance of this joyfulness. What Paul is writing here in this letter is a far far cry from an obligatory thank you note. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you grew up. But when I, I was coming up, my mother insisted that for every gift that we received, we write a thank you note. And I absolutely hated writing thank you notes. They were boring. They were time consuming. I didn't want to do it. But of course, mom would always win these battles. And so I'd begrudgingly scribble out some half-hearted letter, slap a stamp on it, throw it in the mailbox, and never give it another thought. Now, I should mention, though, of course, if any of you have ever received a thank you note from me, much love and joy went into writing that. But that is exactly the opposite of what Paul's intentions are here when he writes this. When Paul says that he rejoices greatly at their gift, he is speaking from the overflow of his heart. His love for the Philippians and their support is palpable. You can feel it as you read this letter, and you can especially feel it in these ten verses we have before us this morning. But as we go into verse 11 of this chapter, we see that Paul steps back for a minute to clarify why it is he's rejoicing. He wants to assure the Philippians that his joy is not because of the money they sent him. No, see, his joy is founded upon the motivation behind the gift. He's rejoicing in their faithful partnership in God's kingdom work. So he goes out of his way to clarify that he's not rejoicing because of some physical need he had being met. In fact, he goes on to explain to them that he's already learned to be content, whatever the circumstances might be. In verse 12, he says that he knows what it is to be in need and what it is to have plenty. You see, Paul's seen good times, and he's seen bad times. He's been hungry, and he's had a full belly. He's been poor, and he's been well supplied. And regardless of these varying circumstances, he says that he's learned the secret to be content. Now, we need to understand what he refers to, what he's meaning by this word, content. Because it's central to our passage, especially central to verses 10 through 13. 
You see, the word Paul uses for content in this passage is the only time we see it in the entire New Testament. The only other time we see it in literature is in Greco-Roman philosophy. And in particular, it was a favorite term of the Stoic philosophers. Now, if you're familiar with the Stoics at all, you know that they were famous for their attempt to rid themselves of showing any outward or emotional uh, signs. Instead, they focused inwardly on a strict disciplinarian code not to ever show emotion, not to let anything outside of themselves affect them. And so this word content really carries with it the idea of self-sufficiency or independence. That's why when we see someone going through what really is trying times and they're standing straight-faced, we say that they're being very stoic because they're not showing emotion. They're finding strength within themselves. And the Stoics saw that as the pinnacle of human achievement. Well, hopefully you hear this, this use of the word content, this Stoic use, and you look at how Paul uses it in our passage, and you begin to scratch your head thinking, why in the world is Paul incorporating such a worldly concept in such a godly letter? Well, I think we see the answer in verse 13. Now, remember, Paul has just told the Philippians that he's discovered the secret to being content. And in verse 13, he reveals what that secret is. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, do you see what Paul really just did? He took that self-centered concept of self-sufficiency and turns it completely inside out. Paul's saying that his sufficiency, his contentment, comes only through Jesus Christ. His self-sufficiency has nothing to do with himself. He's not looking inward for some emotional fortitude. Rather, he empties himself completely so that the strength of Christ may fill him completely. Now, the last time we saw Paul talk about the concept of strength, it was back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you'll remember this is the passage where he speaks about the thorn in his flesh. And he talks about how he cried out to God to have that thorn removed. And then Christ tells him, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And how does Paul respond to that? Well, he goes on to say, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then he says, for when I am weak, then Am I strong? And that's exactly in line with what he's telling the Philippians in our passage this morning. The secret to contentment is not something he has within himself. Rather, he finds his contentment in Jesus Christ who gives him strength. So I have to ask then, what about us? Where, do, where does our contentment lay? Can we say along with Paul that regardless of our circumstances, we can do everything through Christ who gives us strength. That's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to do, as Paul says, when we have plenty, when we have food, when we're well supplied. Where do we find our sufficiency when that raise finally comes through that we've been looking for all along? Do we see our financial fortitude as the reason for our security, as the reason for our strength? Are we seduced by our times of plenty into thinking that we really are self-sufficient? Or how do you handle those times when you're in need? 
and when you're hungry, whether physically or spiritually? Do you try to dig deep within yourself like the Stoics and pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Or are you falling face first before the mercy seat of God, begging him for your daily bread? I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine who's gone through a totally devastating divorce. Her family shattered, her children are hurting, and she's financially ruined. She told me that the full weight of her financial crisis came crashing down on her one night as she was balancing their budget, crunching numbers, and came to the realization that she could no longer afford to keep her family in the house that her children had grown up in. She said it was if someone took the world right out from underneath her and she was just in a free fall. A free fall with no end in sight, no rope to grab a hold of. There was nothing there except God. She said, Andrew, I cried out to God that night. And when she says she cried out, she was crying out to God begging him as a child would beg a father for protection, for provision, and for mercy. And she said that as she prayed, she could feel that despair and that hopelessness beginning to melt away and this warmth of love and hope and joy and strength come along her. She said as she emptied herself, as she rid herself of all of those things that she had looked to for contentment and security in her life, a marriage, money, a house, as she rid herself of everything that she was once standing on, she truly began to understand this exact passage that's before us. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And see, that is the hope that we find in Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's just like the author of Hebrew tells us, he says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. Rather, we have one who's been tempted in every way and was without sin. And because of this, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus knows our condition. He understands the temptations to look elsewhere for strength and contentment. I mean, after all, Satan himself tempted Jesus with all the power, with all the money, and all the world. And yet Christ knew that he could not find true rest. He could not find true security there. Instead, Jesus looked to his heavenly Father to provide him with contentment and sufficiency and strength. How much more than should we? How much more should we look to God? Should we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, for our strength? and true contentment. It's just like that old hymn says, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, that's the hope and the peace and the promise of contentment that we find in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is pointing us and the Philippians towards. And in asserting that his contentment is in Christ, Paul, we need to understand, is in no way diminishing the partnership or the gifts that the church gave him. In fact, those gifts are a part of God's grace to Paul's ministry. And as we're about to see in verses 14 through 20, Paul praises the Philippians for their gift and wants them to realize that ultimately their partnership and the gifts that they are giving him 
are really an offering to God himself. And as we pick up in verse 14, we see where Paul tells the Philippian church that it was kind of them to share. It was kind of them to have fellowship with him in his troubles, in his ministry. The Philippian church didn't only share with Paul in his troubles for the stand, from the standpoint that they were sending financial gifts to him, but they were in prayer for him. They had sent Epaphroditus with another financial gift, and it was from these things that Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church to give his joy, to show his joy, to give his thanks unto them. Paul thanks them for supplying his every need. And these gifts were given from the church to Paul because Paul was ministering to and through them, and the church had a concern for Paul. They were worried about Paul, and because of this concern, we see in verse 10, because of this concern, they give a gift, and they care for Paul and his ministry. But Paul is quick to say that his work isn't dependent upon their gifts, nor is his work motivated by their gifts. Paul's hope is to credit their account. That's the terminology that we see in the NIV this morning in verse 17, to be a credit to your account. The English Standard Version says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's hope is that through the gift of the Philippian church, that the Philippian church would see the benefit, that they would see the fruit of their labor. One commentator tied our passage this morning back into Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 and 9 through 11. And this is where Paul tells the Philippian church, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jumping ahead to verse 9, Paul continues, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In the Greek, the phrase in English that says may be credited renders the same Greek word that Paul uses in chapter 1, verse 11, for the fruit of righteousness that the Philippians will have on the final day in Christ. And it's quite possible here this morning that Paul is telling the Philippians and hoping that the Philippians, through their financial gifts and through their ministry, will be given grace and mercy and fruit at the day of judgment. The Philippian church's generosity towards Paul was a demonstration that God was indeed completing the good work that he had started in them when they first believed in the gospel. 
Paul continues his use of financial terminology as he moves in to verse 18, where he uses a common business term from his day. He says, I have received full payment. But not only has Paul received full payment, he's received more than that. He says he is amply supplied. And Paul is thankful. He is appreciative. He's filled with gratitude for the gifts of the Philippian church. They have gone above and beyond his needs. And we see in verse 18 how Paul moves rather quickly from speaking in business terms of his day to speaking in Old Testament terminology. He describes their gift to him as a fragrant offering. And that's Old Testament terminology to represent an offering that's acceptable. It is acceptable in God's sight. It is pleasing to God. And Paul is telling the Philippian church that their gift to him on behalf of his work for Jesus Christ is an offering to God. It's an act of worship. As Andrew already mentioned this morning, the Philippians were giving to Paul, but really that gift was going to God. Paul was working on behalf of the Lord. And these gifts from the Philippian church are pleasing. They are acceptable. They are an act of worship. In verse 19, we see Paul telling the Philippian church that God will meet their needs according to his riches, according to his riches in Jesus Christ. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you this morning to be careful. Make sure you read this verse within the context of our passage this morning. In certain schools of thought, this verse is used as a proof text for the idea that God wants you to be wealthy and that through a relationship with him, you can pursue riches and he will just bless you above and beyond what you could ever imagine. And the problem with this is that they don't look at this verse within the context of what we see the relationship between the Philippian church and between Paul. They take it out of context. The blessing, the promise of God's riches in our passage this morning is found within the context of the Philippian church's generosity towards the Lord on behalf of Paul. Today, for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, we know that life isn't easy. We know that things don't always go as planned. In fact, we should know from reading our scripture that if we are to truly imitate the life of Jesus Christ, then we ought to expect some sort of suffering. Following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have perfect health and lots of wealth and smooth sailing from here until the end. That's not what Paul is saying this morning to the Philippian church. He's saying that the Lord will supply the Philippians' needs, that he will supply their needs, not their wants, but that he will supply their needs according to his riches found in Christ. Let me illustrate this for you with a story I read this week. I read about two gentlemen who had the need to get from Buffalo, New York to Toronto, Canada. And the first gentleman had an older model vehicle and it took him two and a half to three hours to drive from Buffalo, New York to Toronto, Canada, while the other gentleman came from a fairly well-to-do family that owned a plane. And so he simply hopped in his plane and was up in the air for 
for just a little bit. And then he landed and he was there in Canada. In this story, both men had their needs met. But they were met in different ways. They were met according to their riches. God is supplying for our needs according to his glorious, infinite riches. God is the ultimate giver. God is God of all. He is the creator of the universe. And he has sent his only son into the world that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And God has given us everything. Everything that we see, everything that we have comes from him. And he has also given us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. God is supplying our needs from his glorious riches. What an amazing blessing that is and an amazing thought to think about. In our passage this morning, the Philippian church gave of what they had. They went above and beyond to make sure that Paul had all he needed for the work of the Lord. And in the same way today, we need to go above and beyond and give to the work of Jesus Christ through the local church, through First ARP. In 2 Corinthians, Paul describes giving to the work of the Lord in the terms of sowing seed. And Paul explains how God's promised provision does not diminish our responsibility to him. We are expected to sow the seed while God promises to continually furnish the seed. And God also promises to furnish the harvest, to produce the harvest. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Paul writes, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Just as Paul thanked the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel message through a variety of means, Andrew and I too have been blessed by this congregation through a variety of means. From notes and letters to cards and emails, including financial gifts, you have partnered for us in our endeavors. We've been cared for in spiritual ways as well. You have taught us, you have nurtured us, and you have sent us on to Erskine Theological Seminary so that we can pursue an education in the Holy Scriptures. And many of you tell us that you're praying for us, and you hope that things are going well at school. Keep those prayers coming. Andrew and I are both in our second semester of Hebrew, and it will be by God's grace alone that we graduate when Dad said we would. So please... Do continue to pray for us. Andrew and I are appreciative and we are thankful for the ways in which you display your love and care for us. We are thankful for the example that you set and the way in which you give to the work of the Lord through the local church here through First ARP. Not just with finances, but with serving on committees with working around the church on volunteer work days, through your time and your talents, and also through your financial givings. Thank you for setting that example. We are excited to continue to be a part of First ARP. We are excited to call First ARP our home. 
And we are excited about what the Lord is doing through First ARP here in Rock Hill. We aren't learning and studying to simply receive your financial gifts, but we're learning and studying because of what you have taught us, because of what you have instilled in us as our church family. And our hope and our prayer is that God will continue to bless the ministry of First ARP and that he will continue to bless your families and that that will come from the glorious riches found in Jesus Christ. Paul was so moved by the work of God in the Philippian church that he gives all praise. He gives all honor to God in the closing verse of our passage this morning when he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. My hope and my prayer is that we will continue to give to the work of the Lord, that we will continue to give to the work of the Lord through this church, through First ARP. And that as we do so, we will trust in Jesus Christ to supply all of our needs so that we too can proclaim together all praise and thanks to God the Father now be given, the Son and Him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. Let us pray. Father God, we acknowledge this morning that you are the God of all. We acknowledge that all that we have, all of our possessions and our jobs, Father, our families, they all come from you. Father, you have blessed us beyond what we deserve, and we come this morning to stop and to give you thanks. Father, to, to give you praise for the ways in which you care for us, your church, your people. Father, we are thankful for the many blessings, and we do ask that, Father, we would put our faith and our hope and our trust in you, that we would not be tempted to think that we have earned this ourselves, that we have worked hard to achieve all that we have, but, Father, that we would give you first and foremost the ultimate thanks. And Father, like Paul, Andrew and I too are thankful for First ARP. We are thankful for the way in which you have brought our families to this church and for the way in which this church has continued to care for us, Father, even while we're away. Father, that you have allowed for a partnership in the ministry. And Father, may our prayer be that we would partner together, not for our own sakes, but that, Father, for you and for you alone. That we would truly say all praise and glory is to you and, and nothing for ourselves, Father. 
And God, we come to worship this morning, and many of us have, have heavy hearts. We have uh, a lot on our mind as we look at the world around us, and we see all the devastation, Father. We see all the effects of the fall. But Father, we know that you are sovereign, and we know that you are in control, and we know that you work all things according to your will, and that, Father, everything that happens brings you glory and honor. And so, Father, we do ask that your name would be proclaimed all around the world. Father, we pray this morning for the people of Japan as their world continues to crumble around them. Father, may your church rise up. May your name be proclaimed and may lost souls enter into the kingdom. Father, for all the issues in the Middle East, we ask for wisdom. Father, those missionaries who are there, grant them safety and continue to be with them as they proclaim your name. Father, we ask for wisdom for the leaders of our nation and for our state and our city. That they would turn to you, that they would look to you. Dear Heavenly Father, we continue to ask that you be with the ARP denomination, that you would create within it a sense of unity. Father, we ask that you be with the agencies of the ARP denomination, that you would go with them through these tough financial times, and that you would continue to pave the way for them to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful most for the gift of life found in Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you thanking you for that gift of grace and mercy. Father, help us to never take it for granted and help us to take it and share it around the world that your name may be praised. It's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. As we continue in worship, we'll... We'll continue by standing and reciting the words to the Apostles' Creed found for you printed in your bulletin. Please stand. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number nine, Now Thank We All Our God.
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you forevermore. Amen. Amen.